Welcome to episode number 13 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you find a career you love, start a business, and generally crush it at life. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and an MBA student in the class of 2020 at the USC Marshall School of Business. I've had my hand in entrepreneurship and business since 2012 when I launched Just Go Fitness and now with Just Go Grind. In this episode of the show, we have Kat Castellanos, who is a speaker, writer, and internal crisis management consultant. She's also a founder of Sidestep Strategies, which helps organizations and individuals manage crisis. In this episode, we go through Kat's experience interning at National Geographic, CNN, and the White House, talk about choosing a job after college, go through Kat's experience working at different startups, how she ultimately founded Sidestep Strategies, how she's managing to write a book while growing a business and also training for a marathon, what to do during times of crisis, both for individuals and for companies, and even going through how you deal with stress and why you should build a crisis team. Talk about all of that on this episode. And the show notes can be found over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show at patreon.com slash justgogrind and leave a rating and review in iTunes. Please, please, please do that as well. And with that, let's bring in Kat from Sidestep Strategies. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I know we got connected through Christina Calabrese. I have to give her a shout out. I always do because she is a saint. And I know it's through the Dreamers and Doers group. Yes. I'm curious on how you got involved, how you found out about that group. Absolutely. I stumbled into that group very randomly, as I feel like I have most things in life. <laughs> I was out at Summit Series, if you're familiar with that. It's a bunch of young young entrepreneurs that bought a mountain out in Utah. I guess it was probably four years ago, four or five years ago, when Summit had just started, not Summit, sorry, when Dreamers and Doers had just started, and um, Geish was there, who runs it, and kind of said, hey, I have this group going, you should join, I went, okay, and to be honest, I thought it was just going to be another women's group, (laughs) fine, there's a thousand of these, everybody wants to take over the world, great, but it really is a fantastic group that has done a lot for me in terms of connections, opportunities, and just meeting great like-minded people. Was it one of those things where, I know she she brought up to you, but have you been a part of different groups before? I think it's hard to kind of name specific groups. It's more that it seems nowadays every single person that you meet is trying to build their own community. And I think a lot of it obviously comes back to technology. We're all sitting there staring at our phones and we're isolated. So everyone, whether it's their dinner group or their entrepreneur group, wants to form their own community, and then we all end up kind of isolated in individual little pods. Right. I mean, you notice that definitely if you look online, there's so many different groups like that. I've, I've seen them, um, Facebook groups or like mastermind groups and that sort of thing, and they can be like hype in the beginning, but then it just kind of fades exactly. out, you know, like mm-hmm. it's one of those things, which kind of a beginning of the school year syndrome everyone's really excited <laughs> your notes are perfect and then a month later you go meh right not so much but like, this actually sustained and grew and got better especially for something that's a facebook group right it doesn't even meet in person for i mean for people really on the west coast um it's a lot more prevalent i think on the east coast in new york where there's more of a base but here it still somehow works and it's quite impressive right i want to get into sidestep strategies your newest yes. thing eventually sure. but i have definitely have to go back um early early so you've done some pretty prominent internships okay, uh-huh. let's 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 chat about yeah. those a little bit let's start let's start sure. with whichever one you want to i guess i um have a eclectic resume is the way i'll put it i have done yes. everything from modeling to working at the white house to scuba diving teaching uh so you name it it's been on there but um hopefully all of it has led me to where i am today I guess the internships that were meant the most to me were probably one being National Geographic because that was just fun. You get to go and research anything possible. Um, and it's kind of a challenge where they have this great, this was back in DC, and they have this great library underneath the building. And you go down and you could look at the library and you say, I want to know about Amazonian head shrinking. And she goes, all right. <laughs> this way and there's no way to stump her so that was really fun because I just ended up feeling like one of those old Bing commercials you know when it's just fact after fact after fact just a fun experience um, but the thing that I really learned the most from was doing the the classic White House internship 
because your base hours, even as an intern, were 12 hours a day. We're eight to eight. Jeez. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Talk about not getting paid for your work, right? Uh, yeah. So you end up spending more time there. So you kind of get in at 6.45 and you go in when it's dark, you leave when it's dark, uh, keep an extra suit at the office, sleep on the sofa, keep going. And it's all chaotic. There's times that I think I hung up on the vice president that they screwed up the president's schedule for the day. So the consequences of screwing up were definitely Uh, I still look back on those moments, but it certainly was something that also pushed me to a new level. Um, And I loved it. I think it also taught me that politics was not going to be my path. My family was in politics and um, we were really born and raised in it. We watch, I always say like we grew up watching the Sunday shows and Winnie the Pooh at the same time. It was a mess, but um, it just wasn't for me because you get so absorbed in the day-to-day minutiae that it becomes your entire life. And so I kind of ended up escaping that and uh, doing the West Coast thing, trading right. politics for palm trees. Though that experience, going into it, what were you thinking it was going to be? Like the White House specifically, like what were you thinking that was going to be? And was it the same? Did it align with your expectations, I guess? Oh, I had no idea. No idea. And I, honestly, that's a good question because I don't remember beforehand. I just remember with my mother taking me to go and buy my first suits and being very confused by the whole Hillary pantsuit process. Yeah, right. But I don't think I had an expectation. I just remember, the only thing that I do remember from beforehand was getting the kind of, you know, you got in note and then looking at the paper and going eight to eight? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> what? Eight to eight every day? Yeah. Okay. But... It was one of those things that I will always look back on with some great fond memories because I was doing public liaison, so we brought in different groups to support presidential initiatives, and there's no better job perk than doing events on the South Lawn or in the Rose Garden. And no matter what intern crap you have to do, <laughs> there's a lot of it, to be able to walk in there, walk in the Eisenhower building every morning and go, this is cool. That is cool. Yeah. Was there any typical day for you, or was it just... I mean, every day kind of shifted, or how, how did that go? A lot of it was the same intern stuff you'd be doing anywhere else, okay. sitting behind the computer, making lists, trying to get people in and out. Um, a lot of our stuff was events, so there'd be times that you have people stuck outside the gate that you got to get in, and you realize you don't even know what language they're speaking to go and call the interpreter, and they get in, and then... You know, you have someone else that's weird outside the gate or somebody calls in with threats and then you have to get Secret Service and it's kind of a Rube Goldberg, cat that eat the rat type situation. But, so a lot of it was typical internship stuff that isn't that fancy. Um, and then there's the fun stuff, which is, you know, bowling underneath the White House. That's, how often did that happen? Or what was uh, that experience? On really late nights when everyone just is, <laughs> done for and uh, yeah, after a 12 hour 12 hour volunteer hours, day basically let's go bowling let's that's do something do. together spend more yeah. time together yeah. after that so that's the one job uh maybe not now that if i had the opportunity i would probably go back to okay what about you also interned at cnn i think it was as well? yeah i did cnn for a bit um i don't know the standard typical news process i don't think i realized until that experience the kind of power and I don't know just how quick the 24-hour news cycle works it sounds very stupid and very obvious like it's a 24-hour news cycle what else do you <laughs> expect it to be but really it's is this going to work is this going to get eyeballs no next moving on um but yeah also uh, you know it's it's all been good experiences I think so you, you had National Geographic CNN and then the White House and that was while you were at Georgetown right yes those were kind of in between summers or some okay. of them I think were during school as well were there other ones you were considering or other paths like during like obviously anyone listening who was either in school like obviously I'm in the MBA program people looking at internships it's a little bit different but undergrad same thing looking at different internships trying to decide what they should do for a summer or do you remember how you chose those or no I think a lot of it was I was in the DC bubble to be honest and I would love to say I chose this. This is the direction that I wanted to go in. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it was me being a college student, not knowing any better. And this is what people did, right? Everybody went into politics. Everyone I knew was in politics. I went to a high school where we had Secret Service follow the volleyball team around to games because we had 
yeah, we had, you know, important people's yeah. kids, not me. <laughs> so you're very just inundated in that world. And yeah, I would love to say that I had the autonomy to go, this is my direction. But I think I ended up, my belief was that I would end up somewhere in the international affairs type realm. Did you end up going into that then? Well, that is my degree. Okay. Which, like many degrees, is completely worthless to me. But hopefully it'll be, be good for something. Yeah, I understand. So what, transitioning from those internships, you learned some things, maybe what you liked, didn't like. Sure. Then how did you decide on like that first job after college? See, so I... Let's see, because I did part of my schooling actually abroad, and then I came back and finished at Georgetown. And I was doing freelance writing for a while, on and off. And then I ended up getting a very random opportunity, which was kind of a too-good-to-be-true type thing, (laughs) which was to be the director of a startup out here in Malibu. Crowdfunding and microloans help underserved in the community um, and the nation, and ended up doing that for about a year, took over a year in, but it was a fantastic experience, also a titanic of a company, oh God. <laughs> as many startups are, yes. right? the, uh, it's going down, we can save it, no we can't, no not no, quite, no we can't, <laughs> no we can't, iceberg head. So um, that though, again, I think there's a reason why we have all of these experiences, not to be a total fatalist, but that gave me the confidence and wherewithal to realize that I could do something on my own. Yeah. And before that, I don't think I would have had that ability. That thought. So once, so that gave you kind of the confidence, the know-how that you, yeah, you could do your own thing and mm-hmm. you had the experience. I'm wondering, you mentioned writing and doing some freelance writing, that type of thing. What, what overall has drawn you to writing, to content? Because yeah. it's, it's one of those things like it's, it, this is one industry. Everyone's drawn to something else. I'm curious what drew you, you to like that type of thing. I've always loved writing. Uh, my dad writes a lot just really on the political front, but we've just always had an affinity for that um, practice. And I was the kind of kid who even loved writing my high school papers. You know, when it came to math or science, my God, leave it alone, but writing, I always loved. Um, I would read writing books for fun. And you know, now I'm writing my first fiction book, coming soon. Yes. Amazon, buy it. <laughs> um, but, I love, I guess, finding stories that people don't know about but should, and helping someone else that maybe doesn't have the capacity to get their message out there in the right frame, to take it, help them take it from their brain and put it onto the web or onto paper. When you're doing freelance writing, mm-hmm. how are you finding different positions? We're just checking online, taking anything, and how did you decide like which 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 like projects you wanted to work on? I guess. Sure. Um, at first you take everything because when you're young, <laughs> you get really scared of missing out on opportunities. Yeah. You say, I think Tim Ferriss talks about this. When he first started, he took every podcast that I was offered to him, every single opportunity that was every single speech. And then you end up just wearing yourself thin, right? Mm-hmm. Cause I remember taking jobs and this is going to pay me $5. Fantastic. At least it's something. It's money. It's yeah. money. Woo. But you learn as time goes on and get to a point where you have a relationship established with, you know, a couple of different companies or a couple of different outlets and you kind of go from there, I think. Okay. You have to go back to Tim Ferriss. You mentioned Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. Are you, is that one of people you listen to pod, hear his podcast, read his books, or how'd you hear about him? I have, but I think sometimes these are the people that we idolize so much and think I just live in this kind of ridiculous utopia, right? Because like if you read his book, uh, what is it, like The 4-Hour Body? Yeah. It's insane. No one's ever going to actually it's, it's do insane. that. It's insane. It's actually insane. Yeah. No one's ever going to actually do that. But I also appreciate him because he's he is a little bit more real in some senses where he's come out and talked about his struggles with, uh, with depression and a lot of those kind of things that regular humans deal with. So it doesn't seem quite as... Uh, Tony Robbins, you know, <laughs> I love, I love the idea, of, and I don't want to go out and bash these people, because yeah, like, who yeah. am I, obviously, to be saying any of this, I <laughs> get you can have an opinion on anyone, why not though, yeah. but the Tony Robbins thing, I think, sometimes bothers me, because it's this concept of, you're never supposed to be down, you can be down for a second, but then you rah, rah, pick yourself up and go, mm-hmm. and I can appreciate the idea behind it, 
of get willing yourself and getting yourself into a better state, but it's also not really human. We were meant to be humans. We were meant to have some ups and downs. And I don't think teaching anyone that they're wrong or they're failing when they're in a low moment, that just doesn't really do that much good to me. Yeah. doesn't seem like it actually helps that much in that situation. Right. right. So when you do have someone like Tim Ferriss that comes out and says, hey, you know, I'm super successful. I've done X, Y, and Z. I know the languages. And then I can salsa dance while doing it all. <laughs> you know. And I still struggle with this. That I can appreciate. Yeah, and being vulnerable, being real about your struggles, because everyone has struggles. And he mentioned totally. to that point, I guess, he talked about suicidal thoughts and all these different things like he mm-hmm. had going on because he dealt with a lot of Princeton. And yeah, everyone's real. We have that. Even these people that seem untouchable in that way. It's, right. It is nice to, to read that and hear about that. And it's like, okay, you can relax for a second. Like, it's going to be okay. We're yeah. all struggling with things. Like, they still accomplished a lot. Like, got everything done. Humans. Yeah, exactly. Were there any other, while we're on that topic, any other writers or people you have especially learned from in terms of affecting your life in any particular way? I will go through a couple of my favorite writing books, if I can. Yes. Stephen King's On Writing. Okay. I have actually never read, I'm sorry, Stephen King, any of his other books besides really? On Writing, and I need to now that I've... But this was actually a book that my dad gave me, I think, when I was first in fifth grade, and I read it. And then um, I've just been rereading it again. And that's one that I'll go through every couple years. Also, um, The War of Art, Stephen Pressfield. And I'm such a geek, are you ready? Yes. That I emailed Stephen Pressfield about a month ago and said, like, hey, Stephen, this is very random, big fan, is there anything that I can do for you? And he emailed back and said, you know, no, I'm good, thanks, but, you know, keep on trucking, keep on the good writing work. And so that just gave my little writing ego a boost. (laughs) Just to hear from someone of that caliber, because I love um, anyone that can put that much of a kick-ass book together in such a concise form. For anyone who doesn't know, it's, it's kind of little paragraphs of a book that you could read one each day for you know 50 days or something but it is a great inspiring work for anyone that's in a creative field yeah were there any others i definitely have heard i've read that one i have not read the stephen king stephen king on writing and lamont bird by bird is a very popular one um i'll have to go through the bookshelf there's there's a lot. We can always add more after yeah. the fact in the show notes. So sure. Big deal. Just go grind.com slash podcast. We'll always have the show notes. So these books and every suggestion will be on there. Um, there's always, there's always so many resources. How do you choose which ones you read? Is it like friends telling you? Is it multi, massive Google searches? Cause I struggle with like, Oh, I want to I learn this. And like, oh. these are all the reasons. How do you do it? Sometimes I feel like I have to stay off of the Google. It's like <laughs> WebMD. Yeah. You start to go down the rabbit hole and you realize how much you don't know. Yeah. And the kind of unconscious consciousness becomes a little bit too much. So, um, conscious unconsciousness, rather, I suppose. Anyway, but uh, some of them are recommendations. Some of them are the ones that Amazon tells me have the most reviews and most stars. That right? works. It's a combination of things. And then if I just run through bookstores all the time and the ones that I find and between my intuition and Google, see what <laughs> feels right. But... Sometimes I think I do have to limit it because otherwise I'll have a very, very big stack that just becomes overwhelming. Yeah, like you own them and then you just you can't get to all you. of them. Yeah. Oh yeah, there are books that I have literally dragged back and forth across the country and still have not read. Same. I mean, even some like I started at least or like, you know, I had, I had all these books I was kind of working on in like the months since I quit my job and before I started the MBA and then the MBA started and they just haven't touched them. But even before that, it's still the same thing from like, Wisconsin, I used to live, moving to Vegas, there were books that I didn't quite get to, and then you just never, you never quite get to all of them, but be selective, I guess. I know, and now I need to do this, because I always preach it, of if I haven't read it within, you know, the last two years, if it's just sitting there in its decor, get rid of it, get the space for something else, but it's so hard, because it's it's letting go of this hope that one day you're going to be that person (laughs) that reads, you know, the entire textbook on neurology, but yet it still sits there. Yeah. As you've evolved, you've done a lot of different writing. From, I guess, early on, starting to write till now, you're writing a, a fiction book. Mm-hmm. How has your writing improved? Or, like, you know. Oh, I hope so. I mean, you, you think so? <laughs> well, I, I hope so too. Is it easier for you to write now? Is it. Like, how does that go? There's a the great process? quote. I can't remember who says it, but it's. Um, let's see. 
I only write when I'm inspired and I make sure I'm inspired every morning at 9 a.m. <laughs> so there are days when it's easy and it feels like flow and other times when you're just typing, you know, endless nothingness. But I think the quality has gotten better and then there's always the quote of, you know, writing is rewriting. So the hardest thing for me is not to judge it as it first goes down and just get it out. Vomit it all on the page, let it bleed, come back to it after and make it pretty. And go for it. Yeah, first things first. And I'm doing that now because I have about um, 65,000 words of the, the seminal project here. And it's ugly. It's real ugly. It's real ugly, but at least it's something to work with. Yeah, and have you that sixty-five thousand words? Is that how many drafts have you done already, or is that just that's number one? That's the first one. Mm -hmm. Oh god, that's crazy. Yeah, we've got a long way to go. Yeah, how's that process been though, from like idea from that of that book to working through it? How long has that taken you? It's been fantastic. Well, actually, those sixty-five thousand words I have written in the last month and two weeks month and a week okay which is a pretty good pace um but there's a lot of things in my life that i've always tried to do independently and then other things that i've kind of outsourced for and i never really thought about outsourcing someone for writing but i've always wanted to write a book i've kind of written one that was forever to remain in a drawer 180 pages of just inner psychology purged onto the page but this, I ended up finding a woman who is a writing coach and actually a teacher over at UCLA, and she does this course. Um, I can't remember what the name of her actual course is. I'll have to let it um, let you know and put it in the show notes. Yeah. But you um, end up writing a entire fiction book in eight weeks, at least a, a very very short Whoa, version right. of it. Wow. So it's we've expanded a little bit because I want this to be more of a serious project and goal for for myself. But having just that accountability and that support, because there's so many times I think when you're doing an individual project, whether it's a book or a business, when there's no one else to bounce things off of, you're kind of shouting things out into the void. Going, Am I going in the right direction? You know, and no one responds, and you're just stuck. So having someone just to do that feedback of, no, you're not losing it. Yes, you're supposed to be frustrated at this point. Yes, you should be thinking you're losing your mind. Of course, you want to burn it and throw it out. That's been helpful. Yeah. What do you What are you hoping for from this book exactly? Oh, you know, an American novel, <laughs> great American novel, great American doorstop, mm-hmm. something of that sort. No, I have always saved a space on my shelf for a book that I would write. And it might be utter crap. But it will be published, whether that's by me and Amazon or some other outlet. But I think you know, Pressfield wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. But a lot of his book talks about how he had to write seven books before he wrote that book. right? So this is the first project. It will be certainly my best effort, but not my last. Right. I know this book is obviously, you wanted to do this, you want to have this on your bookshelf. But who do you think will be interested in it? Everyone. It's for everyone, right? Everyone should buy it. That's what it always is. So besides everyone. Yeah. (laughs) I think um, everyone says that fiction is dying, and I don't think that's true in some ways, because I think that everyone, now more than ever, needs a little bit of an escape and a reprieve, right? So I think um, this will certainly resonate with anyone who... I don't know. There's a little bit of a coming-of-age story in there, I guess. So anyone who's ever felt a little bit lost in trying to find themselves, which I think is most of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which especially, it seems like more even now than, I don't know, years ago. The people I talk to in the NBA, for instance, or in general, one, it's their career they're trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. But that ties into a lot of things with your, your life, even like where do I want to live, where I get this, oh, yeah. in this relationship, or there's so many things sure. going on. It's like... Then you see all social stuff, so now everyone's thinking, oh, well, their life is great, but what am I doing with my life? And it's this thing, and you're trying to figure out what you should yeah. be doing constantly. Well, I mean, obviously when our parents were young, it was, you end up marrying the person down the street most of the time, <laughs> I mean, maybe a couple generations back, but sure. you get what I mean. Yeah. And there weren't that many different career paths. Now the world's flat. You can create a career out of your pocket if you want to, but we're almost just overwhelmed with the opportunity. And it's a great problem to have, but it doesn't mean it's not a problem. Right. Still an issue at yeah. some level, yeah. 
And I see so you, you worked with that startup for a year or two. I worked with it for a year before I took over, and then it was about the downslope, not because of me taking oh, over. Oh wow! Thank wait, you very so you much. took over, and then let's it went that, down. Let's put that in there. It was going down beforehand. Okay. Noted. Um, noted. <laughs> Thank you. Another four or five months. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then transitioning from that, I know you had your freelance thing. I'm not sure of the timing on those two yeah. things, but what was after the start? So I've done freelance on and off for a long time. Okay. I ended up actually taking a break after that company, after the Malibu company, for a good while, for about a year and a half. And I went and had, um, I'll do the quick version, which is I had meningitis when I was young, when I was 18. Ended up taking um, a year and a half, two years to recuperate after college, but struggled for a good 10 years, even through the Malibu company, through college, through relationships, through jobs, with like PTSD-like symptoms. I was just extremely exhausted and ended up, oddly enough, being out at Summit again to bring it full back. Um, and they were doing this talk about a doctor who was using this new neuroplastic technique to work with veterans with PTSD and kids with autism. And I, it was one of those weird serendipitous things that you can kind of look back and have a bird's eye view of the situation because I had missed the summit before that because I had to go home to see my neurologist who, and that's the first time he had said, well, it's kind of like having PTSD. And I almost skipped the, you know, the talk that was there and it's all these little bits and pieces that had to come together. And um, this doctor went and did his speech and I went, you know, how this sounds familiar. And so I went up to him afterwards and I kind of debated it. Finally went up to him and said, look, buddy, here's my deal. Meningitis, exhausted, don't know what it is. It might just be me, might be crazy making it up. And um, went down to their facility in San Diego, found out after some EEGs and other scans that I was not a crazy person and I'd had the equivalent of a traumatic brain injury. And it was the best news I'd ever heard because up until that point, I had thought that I was making a lot of it up. So that ended up rolling me into, I think, six months of non-invasive brain treatment and then four months afterwards of just kind of chilling and letting things recoup and seeing where things land. Another four months after that and another grace period after that as well. So, um, and within, within that period, once I kind of found out, I guess the best way I can explain what that did for me is that I would be in kind of a constant theta state. So you wake up and you're pre-coffee and you're groggy most people graduate out of that during the day to a beta or an alpha state if you're lucky and not constantly making lists and manic like the rest of us. I didn't. I was pretty much all theta all the time. So just all groggy, sleepy puppy. And that woke me up. I could wake up in the morning and go all day and then sleep at night. And that to me was dumbfounding because before that I could take two, two hour naps and still sleep all night long. It was just constantly... I'd be sitting here with you going, this is awesome, I'd much rather be in bed. So you can imagine how that ends up kind of making you split into two different people. But, uh, so once that was done, I ended up starting to guinea pig my way through science, spirituality, neuroplasticity, a lot of things that scared my mother, and found things that worked and things that didn't work to help me and begin helping other people. And that's what first turned into Present Mind, which was a consulting company to help execs, CEO types, kind of optimize themselves, um, and then sidestep, which is the crisis management. And alongside of all of this, and something I always put out there, that I will always take calls from anyone who is chronically ill or struggling or looking for alternative methods to heal themselves. Um, I'm certainly not against traditional medicine. I'm all for it. But there are a lot of times that doctors that we see treat within their scope, right? And the way that we are cured now a lot of times is that we stumble from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor until we happen to land on the right person who's familiar with a similar case. And so given my experiences, again, not being a doctor, if I can save anyone a couple of steps by saying, hey, look, here's, you know, the Brain Health Center in Dallas that you should check out. Here's, uh, you know, MAPS, the Psychedelic Studies you know, Association over there that you can check out. Here's a couple of different ideas. I'm always happy to, to help advise people and give them some new options. And to that point, so you mentioned you kind of have worked now 
people on both sides, so like individuals as well sure. as companies. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about each one and what you kind of do with them? Sure. Well, with companies, what we're focusing on right now is going in and helping them kind of mitigate and prevent the effects of crisis. So right now, especially, there's a lot of kind of growing startups that start to struggle because it's really hard to maintain a company culture at scale. It's great when you're small and you're all around the ping pong table, but once it starts to grow and evolve, it kind of becomes its own beast, right? So how do you maintain that? And a lot of times what I found is that it's individuals walking around the company going, am I the only one that feels this way? So when you can get in there and you can talk to them and say, hey guys, here's some ways to mitigate stress. Here's some ways that we can all talk about it. Everybody goes, oh, it's not just me, cool. And they all relax a little bit. And then I become the scapegoat for them to open up and go to their boss or go to each other and say, look, we need to talk about this. So that's kind of the company side. And then as far as individuals go, it can be alternative health consulting, things like that, um, or just helping them figure out new ways to change and shift habits and that kind of thing. And, and with that, so how are you finding new people for this company in terms of like finding different clients and everything, or like they're coming to you? Obviously you have, you know, you have your website and everything like that. I'm curious on that end because everyone who's wants to start a business or wants to have their own company. And I've talked to a few people now who've had their own companies and it's always, you know, a different thing. I'm always curious about how they're actually finding clients or yeah, how are you approaching that process? Sure. It's a mixed bag. A lot of it is <laughs> scraping around and seeing what you can get. I would love to say that, you know, I put up the website and everybody came. Yeah, and build it and they'll come. Not, yeah, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> not so much. Um, so I just want to get, I have a friend who said like he was trying to build a small company and like he built his website and then no product sold and he considered that a failure. I'm like, that's not a failure. That's just building a website. Right. You build like a website. that's just what happens. <laughs> nobody comes. Um, so yes, after we built the website and nobody came, we, you start reaching out to people and you say, try and make it an offer that, you know, they can't refuse, so to speak of, Hey, look, I'm going to come in give you a free evaluation to talk to you about how you can end up increasing and improving your ROI based on making your employee employees happier. You're going to get a stickier, better culture for them, um, and make it something that they can't refuse. Like, why would you refuse that offer as a company? Most of the time they're not going to, or at least they're going to entertain your thought, hopefully. So a lot of it is reaching out, um, going directly to VCs instead of going to individual companies because then they can kind of disperse the message for you and hopefully it also gives you a little bit more of the credibility factor when it comes directly from them. Um, And individual reach outs and word of mouth, putting it out there saying, um, you know, I started out by going into co-working spaces as well and doing workshops for them and saying, hey, like, you know, this is going to help me hone my message and what I'm doing. Um, Would this be useful for you guys? So it's really small steps and going from there, but then it's also, even now, I'll say, hey, look, do you know any companies that might be interested in this, this might be useful for? And it's just, it's the hustle. And when you started that, I'm curious, like, what, how do you get the strategy together of like, okay, what's the first step we're going to take? So you need a website so people can find you, clearly. Sure. So that's one of the things that you do. But with so many options of different actions to take in a business, mm-hmm always want to hear how people decide it doesn't have to be like you know clear clear steps not always clear but how did you start and approach that i think for me and i'm so guilty of this too you could spend like i still need to rework the website now you know and i in my mind i'm going oh i need to rework the website and then i never have to actually call anyone again right because i can just spend all my time working on the website no at some point you have to just put it all down and go for it and start making the phone calls and making the and sending the emails and calling and calling and calling So I don't think, I kind of just went through this recently because we're on another iteration of the company, so to speak. And I went, well, what are my first steps going to be? And it's more going into the Warren Buffett idea of just like choose three things and then don't do anything else, right? It's more important what you're not going to do. So that's what I'm focused on now. It's just, you know, I've been working on a, a one pager, so to speak, that will give the best description that I can, the offer you can't refuse, and then getting that out to as many people as I possibly can. And in the meantime, going out and honing my practice and my um, you know, workshop and speech, so to speak. What have been the resources you've used or people, whatever it may be, to help you kind of learn more about this entrepreneurship stuff, running a business, finding clients, like those sure. types of things? 
Everyone in my family has been an entrepreneur in some capacity, okay. which is very interesting. That is. Yes, definitely interesting. Um, my grandfather used to use the word interesting when he didn't know what to say. <laughs> polite. <laughs> but I think I've always been a, involved and around the startup community, which can be, I think, a benefit, but also a negative in some ways, because you're surrounded by people doing great things. You can find that inspiring. But it can also be overwhelming because you do get this Instagram kind of sense where, you know, I was at, I honestly was at this event the other night and someone was talking about how they just got, you know, 250 million invested in their dog supplement company. I'm looking at them going, really? Like, it's, it's amazing, right? But it's this idea that these people build the website and then the next day they're Uber, right? And it's not the way it works, but you somehow get it in your head that that's the way that it happens. Um, I don't even remember what the actual Re- question resources was. Resources. Resources. Thank or you. Whoever. Thank no you. So within that, um, having your resources that are people and things that you can rely on, right? So having um, real businesses, <laughs> that people that you know, that not the dog supplement isn't, I'm sure it's fantastic, yeah. but people that you know that have actually been through the struggle and going to them and saying, hey, look, this is where I am now. Um, especially when you're doing it so, like I said, having someone to reach out to uh, when you're in that void has been crucial. So I have a couple of friends, um, family members even, and then it's just going for it. Are you are you doing anything like different meetup groups or like startup events and stuff to find people even like learning from them as well or how do you I used to do it's funny that you say that because I used to do when I first started this about a year ago every single networking event that I could possibly do and in some ways if I'm being really honest which I hate I think it was just procrastination right because you can meet people all day long and you but you get into this sense that like oh I'm gonna meet one person and it's gonna be the trigger it's gonna be the catalyst and it's gonna be the linchpin right and sometimes it works that way, but a lot of times it's not, and it just comes back to you sitting at your desk putting out the work. And when you say putting out the work, what What's exactly? specific? That to me means making the direct contacts rather than just the constant networking. So now it's you know going to events that I know are going to hopefully have the most leverage. Okay. You know, if it's a bunch of if it's a big event with a ton of VCs. That's something I probably want to go to. If it's a random networking tech thing on a Tuesday night in Venice, eh, I can probably skip it. <laughs> During your week, how as an you know, entrepreneur having your, your company, you're trying to grow this. You have, I'm sure everyone has grand plans for any business, and as you probably do as well. How do you manage your week? Is it a, like, I'm going to work Monday through Friday, or I have certain set times I'm going to work. I'm going to take advantage of these opportunities on the weekends. Like, how do you approach that? Sure. I try to do balance, of course. does not always work, but right now, it's been mostly book, honestly, for the last couple of weeks, but the way I'm trying to schedule things is uh, mornings are book writing, afternoon is sidestep, and then on either end of those can be marathon training, and that's kind of my day. But um, the important thing for me is to find some time for other humans within that because humans are an important thing. I left my house the other day after like 11 hours straight at my computer and went, people, <laughs> they do exist. Yes, they're you out know? there somewhere. Even, even marathon training is great, but it's me solo running, right. you know? So I've literally chosen the most isolating activities you can possibly do. Yeah. Writing books, doing company solo, and running marathon. Great. So trying to then do that, you know, find other people that you can kind of integrate, whether that's doing co-working or something of the sort. With well, you could also do marathon training with someone else if they have a similar running pace, That's which, the which pace is tricky. Though, yeah, the, the pace, pace is tough. Even if they're a couple seconds off, so I was matters. running with someone, and he's probably about 15 seconds faster than I am. Okay, doesn't work. Though. Nope, doesn't work. God, it has to be tough. It's the exact same pace, yeah. and then or someone very willing to run your same speed. If they, yeah. If they, yeah. Yeah. Which I don't know if that would work exactly. No. Um, <laughs> being like a solo entrepreneur right now, do you have any like? contract people to help you out with things or how are you handling that? Was yeah, that so if we have, um, initially when we started Sidestep, we wanted to be just doing the internal crisis management. So we weren't at this point going into companies. We were working with individuals, okay. helping them to emotionally get through a process. So we would help them build customized teams to help them get through a hard time. That could be anyone from 
therapists to you know psychologists any other kind of acupuncturist you name it um, but then we realized that there was it didn't quite occur in a vacuum like we wanted it to there was no way to not also include the PR side so now we do both um, and we were working with someone the other day who we end up then trying to build them a customized team that includes both therapists and someone to handle the PR side as well. Okay. So that could be, um, you know, we were trying to get rid of some of their more conspicuous internet results that would <laughs> pop up around things that um, they were dealing with okay. and wanted to clear out. Yeah. Wow. What does a typical, one of the workshops you put on, for instance, or even working with someone, is there like, there's probably a structure I imagine to this, like what does that look like? Exactly? Sure. Well, it's all going to be based, of course, on the company's needs, but a lot of it is really about kind of just broaching the subject for them in terms of saying like, hey guys, here's what people do in a crisis. Here's what we should, here's what we shouldn't do, right? Because most of the time, our biology tells us to do exactly what we shouldn't do. You know, it tells us to stick our head in the sand. It tells us to isolate ourselves. It tells us to like act quickly. And, you know, the faster you act, the faster you're gonna get out, of, get out of it. And that's why we see all these celebrity meltdowns, right? Is because they get so frantic, they get so isolated that you start to make one decision thinking it's gonna get you out of something and it gets worse and worse and worse. And then it snowballs and you're off. So giving people other options and kind of other protocols and plans um, you know, one of our things is we always say if X then Y. So if you know X happens, I'm gonna do Y result instead of what my normal plan is. And it sounds a lot of this advice sounds really basic and simple, but when you get down to it, if your brain already has a plan in place, it can go to that rather than right to the negative behavior. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And are the do you have a typical client do you have a typical like type of issue you see more than others i mean crisis can be a lot of different things especially sure. because if it's crisis management like it's pre some like before you have a crisis sure it can be yeah. it can be both okay. um but i think a lot of times in the preventative realm it's companies that see it and go i've watched the culture at Uber in the news. I've watched the company, uh, the uh, culture at Starbucks and how all that implodes. And I want to prevent this from happening to my company. I want to keep my employees as happy as I possibly can and, you know, don't let them turn against me, so to speak, <laughs> right? right? So it's kind of, um, that's kind of the way we sell it is we're going to make your employees the happiest, most efficient company, you know, help make you guys the most efficient company you possibly can be. Um, and that, you know, get you a better ROI. Yeah, and that's what ultimately they want. Clearly, right. anything has, yeah, has to, you have to justify it on that end sure. as well to make Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Um, going back to just that, that schedule a little bit more, your, yeah. your daily schedule, um, have you, how did you decide on that? Have you played with that? I'm kind of obsessed with, with time management and schedule, uh, so I'm just curious what you've done with that. Yes, so I write better in the mornings okay. in terms of, I only have a limited capacity for creativity, I think. Um, and we're, we forget sometimes that I think our physical reserve also takes from our mental reserve. So I try and do, sometimes a workout in the morning depends. Right now, you know, if it's like a two hour run that's gonna be saved till later on, um, you're kind of tapped out after that. But mornings, I try and wake up naturally without an alarm. That's a very big thing for me. Sleep is a huge thing. Again, I don't do caffeine anymore because it, it impacts my sleep. Um, no alarm, get up, get out, and get probably 20 minutes of sunshine on my eyeballs. Inhibit production of melatonin. It's kind of like espresso for your brain waking you up. We used to go out and naturally get light every morning, right? Whether we liked it or not. And now we don't. And so that really helps the circadian rhythm. Um, and yeah, no caffeine, and do drink decaf just because the ritual is important. Yeah. <laughs> Start writing, sit down. That has to kind of be in my home, I think. It's very hard for me to write in a public place because there's things going by and it interrupts that flow process. Um, that said, like sometimes I'll go and find, if it's at a coffee shop where there's lots of people I'll run into, negative, but if it's, you know, I'll go down, Farther down the way, yeah. and find <laughs> people that are not going to interrupt me. That's great. 
but and then afternoons would be work and then I try and cap it at a certain hour um, but there there are ebbs and flows there are certainly times that I feel probably around the 2 p.m. mark I always expect a slump which is pretty normal we're yeah. supposed to be kind of biphasic people I think and if I can lie down for 20 minutes awesome just sit there lie down close my eyes and it's like you get around to is there going from Going from coffee, so I assume you drink drank coffee before. Were you ever? Yes. yes. Let's talk I about drank that. All the coffee. Oh, the coffee. I still drink all the coffee. That's why I'm asking this question. How did you go from the all the coffee, let's just say, to now you don't drink any coffee yes. at all? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. I was a very grumpy person for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I think it started to make me anxious. Okay. I was experimenting with, as I always am, with things, you know, and um, just you know, things that made me feel better, made me feel worse. And I think you know, Starbucks in general has more caffeine than most. I can't remember what the number is, but it's a lot more. It's like double the amount than most regular coffees have. And I remember just feeling really jittery and shaky and anxious. And I went, you know, I wonder what would happen if I just kind of de-seed it. And I did. And then as soon as I tried going back to it, I went, damn, I'm stuck now. Yeah. I really, really can't. But I think we're in also in a day and age where everybody's anxious. And anything that you can do to negate that a little bit helps. Yeah. And one of the things I want to talk about too, so having your own business, and I someone mentioned this, one of my roommates, I think I think he mentioned, so he's kind of curious about if he has an idea for a business, like where does he sure. even start? So you, a lot of times you can draw from a problem that happens in your own life, you realize it, you want to fix that, boom, you create a company. But your process, what would your process be if you have an idea to what next if you want to turn into a business? What my suggestion would be, and yeah. this one of my great friends, shout out to Costa, says is before you build the website, because he called me out one day <laughs> on building the website before I sold the product, was sell it first, okay. then build the website. Okay. You know, go around to your friends, to people who would be your potential customers and say, hey, would you be interested in this? Um, if it's something that is, you know, a service, sell it to them first. Say, you know, our website's in development, whatever. But get it out there first and test your market, then do it. Because you can spend forever building the website and the company t-shirts and the, you know, business cards. <laughs> to that point then, what were some of the first things you did? Like the very first things? Oh, I think I built the website. That's why I know. That's, that's, that's the only yeah, reason why. That's why I know. So you, you went from... The first things I did were, um, well, it did slowly evolve from one thing into another from the you know, individual coaching and consulting into crisis management. So I think after we did the website, we started developing, um, trying to work with individuals. And then it was after a speech actually that I gave at um, Nexus in DC. And I got really great feedback from it on kind of crisis management and how to get through hard times that a lot of times when we're talking about what it is that we're good at, what our kind of profession is. We forget that it's information that can actually be useful to other people because it's just our own realm. But I got such great feedback from it that I kind of went, ah, oh, maybe this could be applicable to more people, right? And that's when I went, okay, well, how do I take this from a one-hour speech to a two-hour, three-hour workshop? And so it started evolving from there. And then I went to co-working spaces and tested it out from there, and then you get feedback, and then you iterate, um, and then going into to VCs or friends, getting the one pager out there and saying, "Hey, can I come test this out with you?" Even if you got to give it away for free at first, you know. <laughs> right. How long have you been? You're full time in the business now, or? I'm kind of well, part time in that, and part time okay. writing books. So altogether, so full time. In your own thing. Yeah. God, that's nuts. That's. How do you? I know you said you do book writing in the morning and then the like, afternoon is like sidestep strategy. Um, like, it, how do you manage the, the two versus like doing more with one or like the other? It's just because like you just took, can't spend any more time writing the book because you just drained and then yeah, you have to work on it? You hit a wall certainly okay. with it and sometimes I want to go back to it in the evening, but you definitely hit a creative wall. And then um, I would love to say, because in my mind I'm so type A that when I write, to be honest, I start, I love to start at like the 9 a.m. mark or the 8 a.m. mark or the mm -hmm. 7 a.m. mark. I mean, I the, love the, the dot, exact like, hours. Oh, uh, so you know, cool. I'm that kind of person that, yeah. yeah. 
I understand. That person, I understand. <laughs> the numbers thing. Um, but uh, what was I? Where was I going? So, just saying, like, like, how do you manage? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got stuck on my numbers. Um, it ebbs and flows because I would okay. love to say that I wake up every morning and I start at start writing at seven or I start writing at eight. I'm definitely an early riser and an early to bed person. That's just the way that I work. I'm better that way. But it it ebbs and flows. Some days there was one day that we were working on, um, you know, trying to get a certain client and spent an entire day and a half, you know, working up a program for them and the book went out the window for that time, you know. Mm-hmm. So I would I love structure and routine and yet I've chosen something that completely allows for the opposite. So trying to have grace with myself, I think is the hardest part, to be honest, because yeah. I'm not the best with that. You know, I think I either watched a video of yours or read something said you're perfectionist from a young age. Uh-huh. Yes. So how does that I'm a factor into perfectionist <laughs> is the way that I say it. I um it's funny too because when I was in high school when we graduated, we had this teacher who there was like 110 of us um, small prep school type situation and the teacher gave everyone one word to describe them and mine was perfect and at the time I looked at that like ha 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 and now I look at it going oh crap man <laughs> oh my gosh you know because you're striving for something that is a bar that continuously moves yeah and especially if you're writing a book you're doing something that's creative there is no perfect right you know um, it's just doing the best you can every day and letting that be enough. And for me, knowing that my best is we're different human beings every day, I guess, is the hardest thing for me. Because yeah. I think I grew up with this idea, this mentality that every single day I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have the same amount of energy, I'm going to feel the same. And it's not the case. Some days are going to be extremely productive, others not. Yeah. And... It's honestly, I struggled with it this morning because I woke up feeling funky this morning. I've been yeah. sick for like the last week. I haven't gotten half of what I thought I would get done. Mm-hmm. First time in a month and a half that I didn't write for three days straight. Yeah. It took really? three days of not writing. And it terrified me because I, I'm someone that gets uh, very afraid of not, of you know, losing that momentum. Mm-hmm. But life goes on. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I feel the exact same way often with like my own side hustle business stuff. It's like whenever I haven't, if I haven't worked on it for even like a day or two, it really bothers me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where you're like, you just want to make progress every single day. Yeah, talk about anxiety. You yeah. want to know that you've kicked the ball forward in yes. some sense. Like you're yeah. just waiting while everyone passes you up, basically. Yeah. As a... Like you mentioned, like type A, like person. How do you manage the stress personally, like with dealing with the company or anything else in your life? I'm curious, how do you how do you manage it? How do you handle it or approach it? I think, well, one thing that is beneficial is that I've spent now eight or ten years studying all these different uh-huh. techniques and therapies and treatments, right? But I think it's also very important to realize that you don't have to do everything alone. And so for me, it's kind of building out my own team. That's something that we talk about in the workshop is building out your crisis team. And it doesn't have to be for one terrible event that you're waiting to happen. But when you think about it, we plan for how to handle momentous events, for awful events in our life. If a fire happens, if an earthquake happens, we have those plans set in place. If the company melts down, we know what to do from an external point of view. But when our daily little things happen, we don't have anything in place to help us get back on track. So for me, that's building a team, meaning I have you know, my go-to friends that I can call, I have a coach that I can call, um, I have you know, spiritual practices, whether it's meditation, there are time periods where I go, all right, my body is telling me that there is no more here, just stop. And this is what I call future cat's problem. She will handle it tomorrow or she will handle it after a 20 minute nap. But for right now, stop. Because if you're spiraling, when you start, to, when I start to spiral, I go, okay, nope, enough. Cut it. Because mm-hmm. it's not going to get any better from that point. Right. And so giving yourself that grace and saying, all right, stop. It's okay. And kind of, kind of to that, on that similar thing, I'm curious, like with, how do you handle the, the highs and the lows or like, of having your own business and so yeah. obviously you have some days where everything goes right, right? Mm-hmm. and some days where like you said you have a three days like 
do you just the next day could you get to the next day and like we'll think about that like you said future cat problem yeah i definitely throw a lot of things to future cat but <laughs> it's really just trying to not be attached to it because there are times that something happens and you get super excited you know oh my god we landed the big client woo mm-hmm. and then next day the client drops or something happens right and trying to not attach your identity to it okay which is which is a mistake that i've made in the past for sure yeah what would you say are the best parts and worst parts about having your own business and doing your own stuff best part is certainly having your own schedule in terms of being able to you know wake up when i want to or take that 20 minute nap if i need to or meet someone for lunch whenever i want to um and it's i think it's hard to go back to that it would be hard to go back to a regimen after having um, that freedom. However, there are certainly people now like bash the nine to five, like it's some kind of evil thing, like you're giving into the man, you know? And it's not, because there are some ways that I look at friends who do go into the nine to five and I go like, oh, that must be kind of nice. Because you have the structure and you go in and you see other humans. Oh my gosh, other humans. <laughs> and, you, and you get to have that kind of office camaraderie and people that you have lunch with and then you come home and you're kind of done, you know, mm-hmm. or then you get to work on your side project. And there is certainly a mental reprieve that comes from having that kind of stability and structure. And there are times that, and maybe at some point I will go back to doing a nine to five and doing my projects on the side. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think we need to look at it as a failure, but so many people do. Yeah. They think single-minded in terms of what a career will look like if you're entrepreneur just full that's all you do and i've even heard that so my best friend lives here in los angeles in west hollywood and he has been on his own for about say almost two years maybe mm-hmm. um and that same point is one of the things he mentioned and he doesn't have the people at the office the fun group at the office he used to have now it's just him he's a solo entrepreneur a couple people helping him with stuff but that's it now and it's a totally different like thing to deal with which especially if you're a solo entrepreneur every year whatever, however successful the business is, but it's just you mostly with the business. It's like hard, managing that can be tough. And he's actually, I think, going back to school. So he never think, wants to, you know, yeah. meet some other people. So it's it's tough to deal with being the solo side of it. I, I think I went to business school in the intention of building a business with other people eventually. Sure. But right now it's still just me on the podcast right. side of it. Um, that can be challenging. Kind of in that similar realm, I'm curious as to what your vision is for your company. Where would you like this to go? What do you want to do with it? Sure. What do you want to do tonight? Same thing they do every night. Yeah. Trying to take over the world. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that happens is that, you know, I certainly have my vision for it. Yeah. But I think anytime you create a brand or a company, it turns into its own beast. Uh, It kind of already has in terms of I never thought that it would be going into companies, but that's kind of what it evolved into. So I think one thing is for me is to kind of have a goal in terms of, small steps going into companies taking it from there but then letting it evolve into its own thing yeah for sure so yeah but down the line of course you know scale it not be <laughs> me going in all the time having other people do it for me and being able to step back of course would be the, the great goal and then also to create um some resources for people whether that's through books or video um yeah to give them access to hopefully some great tools that they can use during hard times who do you think would be those next like couple people that would maybe come on board with the company? It would be probably someone to either help during the workshop process. I mean, now I'll have people that I'll kind of hire out as necessary, but full time, um, either just one catch all do all the things, of course, and then um, make the decaf coffee. Um, someone to come in and help with the workshop side itself, or to be able to send them out kind of as an envoy. Um, yes, to be able to be in two places at once, pretty much. And then um, someone else to help come on and make connections to do more of the, you know, cold calling and selling and that kind of thing. But sometimes, especially at the start, you kind of got to be doing it all. (laughs) Of course. Do you have any type of timeline for trying to get people eventually or just kind of see how the business goes, how how it grows? I think, I mean, I want to try and... I think you know when that time hits, right? When you can no longer handle it on your own. I'm not there yet, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I think in the next couple of months, it's my full intention to try and grow it as much as I can to get it to that tipping point. Yeah. So we'll see. 
So you've gone from like internships at big companies, done your startup thing, you've now done your own thing. I always ask people, what do you think makes for a great career? Um, gosh, I was not prepared for that one. <laughs> what do I think makes for a great career? Oh, personally. For yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would love to... What do I think makes for a great career? For me, I would say it's balance because I think in some ways I grew up with this idea that, especially in DC, everyone, it's a very kind of East Coast, New York type mentality, right? Where you work 12, 14 hour days and the more that you struggle, the more that you're gonna succeed. And I don't think that has to be the case. Like it's always gonna be, there's always gonna be some struggle in there. But I think for me, a great career is something that can help people that allows you to live a balanced life. Just curious, I have to dig deeper. Please. Balanced life. What does that mean? Yes. I think it depends on the person, but not letting your work be all-consuming, um, which is hard for me because <laughs> I find such purpose, and I, like I said, I've made the mistake of attaching my identity to work, and like whether this company succeeds or fails, that means then that I'm a success or failure. Same thing with book or marathons. You can, you know, mad lib whatever you want in there, but. Balance to me means having, you know, like they always say, no one on their deathbed wishes that they work more, right? So one thing is that I always say, choose life. And that means to me, if I'm sitting at my laptop and it's six o'clock and I'm still working on the one pager or redoing the website for the 10th time, or about to, you know, send more and more emails and somebody says, hey, you know, I'm your great friend that's in town, can we go out and grab a drink? Choose life. Because that's the thing that is going to, one, keep you sane and keep the company going, but it's also going to make your life worth remembering. With the balance thing as well, so with, with like friends or family, other obligations, like how do you approach that? Because you see, yeah, if someone's in town, yeah, you'll, you'll choose that over, over work potentially, yeah. but there's also other times where you, you need to get work done, per se. Totally. I say no a lot more than I used to. Okay. I think I went through a time period, especially when you're first getting into the solo project, where like one, you're either lonely and you want other humans, yeah. but you also just feel like you're, like it kind of keeps you busy um, going out and meeting all the people and doing all the things. And in some ways it's hard because when you do that, you find yourself getting even more isolated because you're having all these connections that aren't really real. A lot of times they're superficial and it doesn't do anything for you. So it's harder sometimes to say no and not have the, have less interactions, but it means that the ones that you do have have more quality to them. So you get more work done, you have more quality, but it does mean that I end up spending more time solo. But I would rather be spending more time solo working on what I love than you know, just kind of out and about to be out and about. Right. So deeper connections versus... Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, take other meetings and make them phone calls. That's one big thing. I make phone calls in my car and just say, you know, we do we really need to meet for coffee? We probably don't. Probably like, hey, I can't do this. What? I've got 20 minutes here. How does that work for you? Yeah. Managing that. Saying no. Being efficient with how you have those meetings. And yeah. Too. There's a lot of wasted time in meetings. Well, yes. yes, you could say the work environment itself, but then also even like as you're trying to network with people, like some in-person meetings are necessary or better, but mm -hmm. at the same time, to your point, like if you have time, or especially the person you're trying to talk to, depending on who they are, like they might be easier for them just to do a, a quick call, and sure. that would be perfectly fine for you. And exactly. that follow-up could be an, a coffee meeting if it goes well. Exactly. You know, like that is first things goes. first. Kind of do the, the clearance round. One of my friends calls it yes step. Of, you know, you've said yes to too many things and then you <laughs> regret it later on and then you're stuck and, you know, yeah. it sucks up all your time. I think we've all been there. And I think yeah. especially when you are in a business or have your own business, it becomes even more amplified because your schedule's so open per se. Like those things could suck up a lot of time because you might exactly. think they're helping the business or helping you. Right. But they're not. And the biggest thing for me, I would say, is that, you know, I'll schedule a lunch or something or a breakfast. Yeah but making sure that the time period in between that is a good, at least a three hour chunk. Yeah. To be able to sit down and just have that time period. Because if it's broken up, if there's a phone call at 10 a.m. and then there's the lunch at 12, nothing happens in between there. Yeah. And I'll beat myself up all day long over that. 
yeah. for sure. It drives me nuts. So scheduling the good time chunks in between. Yeah. After this, I go home and I know I've got from whatever, like four to seven, then I can sit down and edit if I want mm-hmm. to. Yeah, and that seems to be, like, especially for creative work, you have to have those big chunks of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I found that too with, with Just Go Fitness, other company, when I was writing so many articles for the site, and they were, like, you know, like two, three thousand word articles, whatever it may be. You needed, I had to have the chunk of time. Like, I couldn't just do it an hour, I'll just sit down, right? Because then it takes you, it could take you a half an hour to an hour to really get into it. And once you're into it, you're in that flow state. You're just going. It's great. But if you're if that was broken up, it would never have gotten yep. half the stuff done. Yep. Something for that as well. And then turning off all of the alerts and messages. I don't know what you call them, but the little red pop-ups on yeah. the bottom of your screen. I finally found out, like, you know what? It says like on WhatsApp or Messenger. And right. It tells you the, how many mm-hmm. unread emails you have. Right. Turning off any kind of alert that will <laughs> pop up and distract me. Because sooner or later... It's like that dog from Up, you know, something shiny pops up. Yes. <laughs> so minimizing the distractions and just making it easy for yourself. When you're writing, do you turn your phone off at all? Or do I you just turn, everything turn on it on silent and I flip it over. So you can't actually see that. So I, I flip it over. I turn off the messages. So it does because I normally have it connected to my computer. Okay. The you know iMessage will yep. pop through. Evil. Turn that but off. Don't do that. Bad. That's yeah. like good idea but I like it though because then during the day if I'm responding to people it is more efficient to type yes and respond I agree but do it in batches so do that in between give myself a 10 minute break and be done do you schedule that out or do you just know that like when I do it I'm going to do all of these and I'll wait a while and I'll... there'll be time breaks where I go alright I've hit a chapter in point or my brain's a little fuzzy let me respond to these emails for 10 minutes get it done otherwise it'll be hanging over my head and get back to it. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, as, as you have your own business, every, every minute counts. Oh, every minute always counts in your life. Like whether that's for relaxing or time with friends and family or your own business, but especially like when you have a company, it seems like there, if you want to make a lot of progress, which anyone who starts their own company wants to get it going so fast, like time is super important and how you manage that is different for everybody. But, um, like that type of thing, batching, you know, Tim Ferriss mentions batching work and everything man of efficiency mm-hmm. it seems like that works a little bit better than just going as they respond or as they come oh, yeah. in and everything i just never yeah, you can do that all day and you never actually get any work done absolutely <laughs> we've all done it yes indeed where can people find you online hear more about you check out your company sure talk to me um they can check out they can email hello at sidestepstrategies.com or katherine c-a-t-h-e-r-i-n-e at sidestepstrategies.com um, obviously that's the website so you can check us out through there um, email address is also on the site and please give us a shout whether that is for inquiries about you know getting into your company and seeing how we can make it more efficient or whether you're just someone that you know, wants some tips and tricks on how to get through a tumultuous time or life in general <laughs> <laughs> perfect thank you so much Kat for coming out thank you appreciate it Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind with Kat Castellanos. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. Find the show notes at justgogrind.com slash podcast and leave a rating and review over in iTunes to help the show grow further. Thank you so much for the support. Hope you have a great day.